The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. Brandon Peters Show for another Friday on the summer of 93 at 30 series. It's the summer of 93 at 30. And rejoining us for it, we have from 92.3 WTTS <gasps> in Indianapolis and his cave dwelling podcast, which we heard so much about. Awesome. It's our it's our favorite spelunker, Matt Pelson. <laughs> yeah, cavers rescue spelunkers. I'm a caver. Oh, remember? Okay. Oh, that's right. Cavers. Uh, I don't remember, apparently. <laughs> no, it's fine. Uh, thank you yeah. for having me back. This is yes. so much fun. I had so much fun with the Rod Stewart episode. Uh, if you haven't heard that one, you can listen to it if you want. Then you got free will. You do whatever you want. I'm glad you're here now, though. Yes, definitely. So, um, as to do, uh, movies this week we talked about on Monday. Uh, let me ask quick thoughts if you have any, if you saw them. Uh, I've got, we talked about Sleepless in Seattle. Dennis no. the Menace, yes, and uh, this little indie film that's terrible. Even though Scott said it was fine, I disagree. House of Cards, no, t- no, Tommy Lee s- Jones in it, and uh, Catherine Turner. Yeah, I remember hearing about that one, but I never saw that one. Don't, but no, don't. Dennis the Menace. I think, if I'm not mistaken, I saw Dennis the Menace in the theater. Oh, okay. Did you remember Switchblade Sam, played by Christopher Lloyd? That was like the creepiest thing yes! ever in a kids' movie. <laughs> Oh my god. Oh god. Oh the fart, the fart that ruined, you know, that that ended it all. Yes. Oh. Was it was that was that his downfall, the fart? I can't remember. It was beans or something. Yeah, it it, it was creepy. Um yeah, yeah. a bunch of beans is terrifying looking. Uh, he had like, stuff hanging off his skin or something. I don't know. Yeah. I may I may be remembering this well, you know what? That's what we want, the childhood memory, because we were watching it like, why is this guy, this is insane. And he doesn't really join the movie proper till like the end. He's just got his own side story going on. That's Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's dis- <laughs> it's a little unsettling. Call it Switchblade Summer. That's what it is. Uh, <laughs> so uh, one thing before we get into this music video to talk to you about is your love of microphones. You have a very passionate... Uh, Oh my gosh. Love you want to talk about microphones? Do you have an hour? Because I could give you an hour. No problem. We'll make Full speed ahead. Let's go. Five part episode where 10 of it's Duran Duran and the rest is microphones. <laughs> Just talk about my. I could plug them all in for you if you want to hear them. Uh, yeah, I, I, for whatever reason, have had this obsession with microphones going back like 20 years now. I don't know why I just all of a sudden got obsessed with microphones. I thought they were cool looking. I th- I loved the fact that some new ones cost thousands of dollars. Why would it cost thousands of dollars? It must be thousands of dollars better. And it's not. There are so many like super expensive microphones. You put them up against one like yours, you know, or mm-hmm. or its cousin, the SM57, and you record the two together, and a lot of people wouldn't be able to tell the difference. You got a ten thousand dollar vintage U47, an SM57 for a hundred bucks. Put them together, they sound pretty close. 
they don't one doesn't sound nine thousand dollars better than that one mm-hmm. but yeah. anyway but yeah so i like microphones the one that i'm on right now was my very first vintage microphone purchase this is a sure 51 model 51 and uh it was the very first one i ever bought with my newborn son in my lap and i'm like nervous about becoming a dad and i'm sitting in this beautiful room my in-laws are mowing my lawn they're like whatever <laughs> just sit with the baby for yeah, a little nice. while awesome. you're fine yeah they were just so happy to have their first grandson they're like you just sit inside and i'm on my phone and i'm like what the hell is going on you know what do i do we just brought the baby home and i'm like i have to make a nervous purchase and i'm gonna make a microphone purchase and I bought this thing, and it sounds terrific, don't you think? No, it sounds great. Um, also, yeah, one time uh, a while back or whatever, I uh, I went to I went to your house. You showed me your recording room, and you're like, "You gotta see my mics." And I was no. like, "I had never heard of a microphone enthusiast like this." You showed me like vintage <laughs> stuff. I was like, "Okay." Well, and cool. I've gotten a lot more. I mean, okay, so for the video viewers, let me just grab a few of them. Real yeah, fast. go for it for okay, the I've video. Got them right crowd. over here. Yes, I've got them right over here. I've got my stick mics. I've got a lot of uh, electro voice. Here's an electro voice, and there's one, and then there's an old Shure right there, and then this is an old Calrad. I got more. I got more. I'll show you. I'll show you. You're going to wish you hadn't asked. <laughs> I love it. These are the gold microphones, and this oh. is the oldest one I got. This is a, an electro voice V1, uh, and this still works, still sounds mm. pretty good. You wouldn't want me to do the interview on this one, but it still sounds all right. This one does not work. Um, this one sounds awesome. It's a little Japanese one. I got more. I got more. Just hang on. A but wait, there's more. But wait, there's more. All right. So I almost, I almost did the interview. Uh, I did the segment with uh, one of these. Can you guess which one? Which one would I have done it with? The purple one? Oh, it's blue, actually. Oh, but you're blue? right. Yeah, you're okay. right. That's what. That's the one. I found some guy in Ohio found this in a barn and oh. sold it to me for really, really cheap. And it was garbage. And I cleaned it up and I put the foam in there and I re-soldered all the connections and it sounds pretty good now. So these are the Sure 55 Unidines. I got more, but I'll spare you. See, the, yeah, the, the, I'm a little crazy. Is- when most guests I have come to record, they just have a mic to do it. You probably sat there and went like, what am I going to use for tonight? I... I stressed over it. I was like, man, I got to make it. I'm the microphone guy. I got to pick the right one. And I think I did. This one I think sounds, I think, among the best uh, of my vintage microphones. But I didn't, I don't buy one unless I can get it super duper cheap. And then if I need to, I'll restore it just like I did with this blue one here. Uh, But this blue one sounds about as good as this one. I almost picked this one. So you could do it like a genuine um, record. Like if you want to make something sound like, vintage or from another era you could probably you have the equipment to do so yeah essentially i could you know yeah and i've been asked by like local theater groups they like mm-hmm. know i have old microphones like oh, if okay. we need an old microphone can we borrow one I'm like absolutely do you want it to work do you just want it to look cool i can give you either oh, that's so good. so yeah. in the, like I, it's been like there's kind of a similar thing to be like wasn't or he probably still is, but like, isn't Mellencamp really interested in like vintage recording equipment and tactics and stuff? Like, he did like a whole album with like stuff from like the 60s once. I think you might be right. Like, yeah. I think he's like really into that. Like, I, like, I unknowingly hiked right past his recording studio. Oh. In Belmont, Indiana. Okay. Which is in Brown County, rural Brown County, right. Indiana. That's where his recording studio is. It's called Belmont Mall Studio. Okay. And it's John Mellencamp's recording studio. And along, like really close to the studio, is a long trail in southern Indiana called the um, 
the Tecumseh Trail. It's about okay. a 43-mile trail. It starts, you know, I, I started it and it did it as an overnight. I hiked 19 and a half miles one day and 19 and a half miles the next day. And it goes right past the trail. And I'm looking over there and I walk closer to it and closer to it. And I'm like, I think, I think that's the place. I think that's I think that's Belmont Mall Studio. And oh. I like walked up to it and I was and but then I got spooked. I I took off. And my feet hurt anyway, because I had walked a long way that day. But yeah. Gotcha. And uh he lives right on John Mellencamp, one of his houses is right along Lake Monroe down in southern Indiana in Bloomington. And I yeah. canoed that lake one day and didn't tie it down well enough, and it flew off of my car right in front of his driveway. Oh. Well then, I'm sure he was so I had to wrestle with that there. thing, get it back on my car, and I'm like looking at his fence, like John Mellencamp lives over there. Do you think he's watching me? Do you think he's watching me? Like, what the hell is that kid doing with that boat? Oh, uh, he, uh, you know, it's funny we bring him up because he was part of the summer '82 at 40 because it was his breakout year. Uh, uh, he doesn't have anything this year in '93. Dance Naked will come out next year. We had the cover of uh, Wild Night with Michelle and the Degiocello. Oh, uh, that was a such game, a great so. cover. Uh, yeah, I love that. And he did some really good stuff in the '90s. Key West Intermezzo. I love that song. Yeah. No, he's. I mean, it's funny. Like, I feel like he. He hit a a wall where it just wasn't as popular as it was, but I think he's like this forgotten like because he was gigantic. I looked at his sales and stuff, and when I was doing the eighties things, I'm like, this guy was larger than life. He's like, still gigantic. Yeah. He still has fans everywhere. He yeah. just like he's he launched a tour this past winter, and it sold out in minutes. Yeah, it was, it was a just, theater tour. He's playing like theater rooms, but yeah. the, it's the whole tour sold out in minutes. Yeah. I think it was Good like fare, farewell tour too, wasn't it? Because he can't. No, I don't think he. No? I don't think he's calling okay. it that. No, no. Okay. the dude smokes like a chimney, but yeah, that's like, the only that's thing a... he does. Okay. That's the only he doesn't drink. He, he's not. He's pretty healthy, other than the fact that he smokes a lot of cigarettes, which gotcha. nobody does anymore. But I, I know he does farm aid every year, but that's yeah, him touring, uh, definitely. I, yeah, I had some friends that went to one of those shows, and they, they were saying like it was like, or maybe they were worried it was his last one or something like. That. Maybe yeah, he's not saying, but he, you know what up. he's saying now. What he's saying now is that he finally has the voice he's always wanted—that gravelly uh, like, kind of smoker's voice. He won. He's been wanting that old man voice forever. Waits, Waits has been ahead of me, ahead of the game for a long time. <laughs> Waits is, you know, Waits is gargling lava, and uh, Mellencamp is just smoking as much as he possibly Come can. Come on. Come on. Come yeah. on. Oh, you know, yeah. John Mellencamp, if you really, really want a gravelly voice, you could just spend all day screaming, which yeah. he probably back in the 90s did a little bit of that before he had his heart attack. Yeah, that, smoking, not singing from your belly. You know, you could do a lot of... <laughs> a lot of things but uh he inhales a lot of paint fumes nowadays oh jeez <laughs> he does a lot of painting i don't gotcha. know if there's it's fumy or anything but i love john mellencamp mm -hmm. you know i mean the indiana connection of course and you know just good wholesome folksy type yeah. stuff and i love his he you know he he evolves you know you can mm -hmm. hear his age in each one of his records you know true, what i mean true True, true. Yeah, I'm a big fan. Yeah. Like one of my favorite albums is like Scarecrow. I love that album. That's a it's a really good one. Yeah, I mean is, that's and... that is a portrayal, uh, a moment in time mm -hmm. uh, about something he was concerned about, and you know, rain on the Scarecrow. 
Yeah, <laughs> good stuff. Uh, so yeah. not John Mellencamp. We're talking about Duran Duran here. Oh, we uh, love to get sidetracked, don't we? At least I do. Yep, I do. I like it too. Um, so Come Undone, it's the second single from their seventh album. It's self-titled, but very well known as the Wedding Album. Uh, the other single from that was Ordinary World and Too Much Information, Drowning Man, Femme Fatale, and None of the Above. Back when you could do half your album as singles. Uh, it was a comeback <laughs> album for them, which saw two gigantic hits for them. It was a huge comeback album. Because I uh, went back through, I was like, oh yeah, they fell off. They were like larger than life. To Their second albums were really what took them a above and beyond and then like it was like really fast after that yeah um yeah the wedding album huge huge comeback for duran duran and what a great song too when you told me that we were doing come undone i was like that's that's my song from the wedding album you know well i was trying to pick i was like what would matt play on his (laughs) when he's not on the air we play ordinary world we play ordinary world a lot but if we play anything else from the wedding album, it's come undone for sure. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I was trying to because I was going through all these songs in '93 that were top ten hits, and on Casey Case, I'm like, what fits Matt's audience and stuff the best there? And so I, I had the Rod Stewart one, and then come undone because <laughs> I had to spread the wealth with all of you. Uh, well, I appreciate here. you considering that part of it. Yes. Um. So this song, uh, the album itself peaked uh, number seven on the Billboard 200 Platinum. Uh, this was the first platinum in a couple albums. They went, they were dropping gold, and they were, you know, they were multi-platinum their first few albums, and then this one was just, this was their first time having a platinum album in a few. They had a greatest hits album, but I'm not going to count that going platinum because mm, that's yeah. stuff they'd already done. It does count in their house with their stuff, but um, the song was the last. Ask ma- any band, ask any band, and they hate that there is a greatest hits album of them. Right, true. They want you to hear all the stuff. Uh, yeah. So this uh, song peaks at number seven on the Hot 100 and number 41 for the year, uh, but it was the highest, it was highest on the mainstream top 40, peaking at number two. Um, you a big Duran Duran fan? I know you were saying like this album, but like, were you a big fan of theirs? Or at I would all, say or? I would say that I am a passive fan. I am aware of Duran Duran and their significance and their influence on popular culture, on music culture. Um, Would I say that I'm a fan? I don't know. I've not listened to the wedding album front to back. I've not listened to any Duran Duran album front to back. But I do very much appreciate what they did for music in the 80s and 90s. Right. So I, yeah, like I think when this comeback album happens for them right as we're getting into like grunge and alternative stuff so they were pumping it into our young you know people's music stations like um which i knew ordinary world but when this song played and i'm gonna embarrassingly admit i thought for years this was depeche mode <laughs> i don't know why but like I think the, that's an honest mistake the the djs you know they come in they name okay uh you, you've heard depeche mode duran duran and uh stone temple pilots and we're gonna head on to this hour it's like i didn't put i was like oh well that one song coming done sounds like depeche mode or something like that so yeah i didn't put it together for the long time for the longest time so i thought this was a depeche mode song because duran duran you listen to other stuff it doesn't sound like this this is like a change in sound for them it was but so. that kept them relevant that kept them relevant and that was why everyone's like this is one of the best comeback albums mm-hmm. really in rock 
yeah, they kind of reinvent themselves a bit. Like I like like I said, passive fan there. Like I like I know the hit. I might have heard the hits and stuff then, but I didn't put two and two together. That oh, that's Duran Duran. But I you know being a James Bond fan, I always knew View to a Kill, uh, one of their biggest hits. Um, because it came from the James Bond movie, the same title. So I always knew that one, knew that was Duran Duran. But there's some other songs that pop up, would pop up over the years, and I'd be like, oh, and then when I would finally see it with the name Duran Duran, I'd be like, oh, that's Duran Duran too. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, they were, and the look of them, they kind of changed their look too uh, when you look at this video compared to, you know, granted, they don't have big hair and crazy costumes anymore. No. To this, this era. And it, yeah, a lot of just sort of random shots of the band, individual members in this video, mm-hmm. the aquarium thing. Yeah, there's a lot of they're, they're trying. I, of... I almost feel like they're trying to say too much in this video. Like, there's, yeah, there's, well, there's pick a ro- pick a lane without knowing exactly what they're saying. They are, yeah, trying to say too much. Well, we'll do this. We'll do that. Now, mm-hmm. I feel like there were so many. This is this is not unique to this video. There were so many videos that were like that. It's just like, yeah. oh, it's a music video. So we don't have to show the band playing. We can show a little bit of the band playing. But we can also show a bunch of random crap like yeah. aquariums and a woman drowning. The woman drowning doing the escape act and singing the chorus <laughs> is like cool. That's one thing. But, so someone's like, I can shoot this really cool and it'd be fine. And like, okay, but what about Tim's idea, Joe's idea, Sally's idea, and, and Frank's? Yeah. We'll fit him in. Yeah. A committee made this video. <laughs> well, I got this alcoholic guy. I'd like to show him it. Oh, okay. Uh, then there's this like uh, guy who's a he's a cross dresser. We'd like <laughs> to show him. Uh, it's like all this stuff. And like there's a there's a white teddy bear. There's the old the people girl. on the boat. Yeah, like there's too much going on. <laughs> the funny thing about the chains of her underwater, I'm like, what? You know, the, she brings the chains in, and I'm like, all right, I get the allegory. But the chains, you see that video, and you're like, those aren't metal chains. Those are no. plastic chains. How are they floating in the water? Chains don't do that. Give me a break with this crap. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, probably worse done no favors by being in HD now. <laughs> no. Oh, so many things. So too much was brought to light during I, HD I, conversions. I wrote down, I was like, I wrote this, this, this video is aquarium chic. That's what that's the style <laughs> going on. Uh, and Duran Duran. So do you remember the movie? Can't hardly wait. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, love that movie. Do you, uh, this my favorite teen comedy from the '90s. So there's a band in that movie playing at the house that all they do is argue and never play any songs. Yeah, with Breck and Meyer, great and bit. Donald Faison. <laughs> Breck and Meyer is he dressed like Duran Duran from this video? Oh he's goodness, got that weird, I couldn't. I I was like, oh my gosh, is this what he's going for? Because <laughs> he's got the puffy <laughs> shirt with the jacket, and so he's got the little eyeliner thing that is not going on here. But I'm like. He looks like the lead singer from Duran Duran in this video. Oh, that had uh, to have been part of the inspiration. I I don't know, but I you know don't know. Um, but that's what one thing that jumped to me. So this video is directed by Julian Temple, and he's a major like. So he gets to start doing Judas Priest, Sex Pistols, and K, uh, Stray Cats uh, videos. He he does Depeche Mode uh, video. Uh, <laughs> Uh, also does Culture Club, Kinks, Rolling Stones, David Bowie, Tom Petty, Janet Jackson, Wilson Phillips, and he did. Certain places say he directed the video for Jump by Van Halen, but wow, uh, there's other names like I couldn't find it solid. Like some places say he did it, 
others say these other two guys, David Lee Roth and some other someone else did it. So I don't know. Uh, but I'll, I'll give him credit in, ca- in case he was. Uh, he also directed a film called Earth Girls Are Easy. Have you seen that one with Jeff Goldblum? I've, and I've heard of Earth Girls Are Gina Easy. Davis. That's I, his movie? That's his movie. I, I had to review the Blu-ray for it last year. I'd never seen it before. It's... It's got. I, I, I appreciate the cult status. I, I enjoyed, to a degree. I, I didn't hate watching it. And I was okay. That was fine. Um, it's it, fun to see Gina Dav- young Gina Davis and Jeff Goldblum playing around. But it's it's okay. Not not in the fly. Not in the fly. Yeah, this is the fly reunion. <laughs> it's uh, nice to see them too. Uh, not in a horror movie. Yeah, there you go. Not uh, at a body horror. Body thing. horror. Yeah, yeah they. That's- yeah, he is an alien, um, but he he takes the form of a human. Uh, yeah, with it. So, but yeah, so that's that's interesting with him. Which I did the uh, the Judas Priest video for breaking the law back then. So this isn't the first time I've talked Julian Temple on the show. Mm. Um, but yeah, he's got a roster of just like working with good names in music videos, which I've seen a lot of people, career music video people that yeah uh, stroll through. Now all of them transitioned into directing other things. So yeah. I mean, so many of the music video people, there were just music videos, did a few successful films as mm-hmm. well. One or two that, you know, people have heard of, stuff yeah. like that. I mean, some became great. We have like David Fincher comes from oh music gosh, videos. Yes. So, you know, Michael Bay comes from like big names come from music videos first. And, um, but then there's all people that don't, and then people that try and then go back to music videos. So, you know, who comes, you know, who else comes from music videos? Who else? Alton Brown, the Food Network guy. Oh, really? He did music videos back in the day. A bunch wow. of them. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's that's great. Like uh, Steve Barron, who did the Ninja Turtles movie and a couple other movies like from there. He was a music video guy. Like there's a lot. Of, and then you watch some of these movies, and some of them that don't transcend well the film, you kind of go, ah, okay, I get it. I get it. <laughs> when they look like sets with smoke and stuff, and you're like, all right. Uh, you kind of get it, but I, it's a fact when there were budgets for music videos, right? Uh, that culminated music- in the scream video with Michael Jackson yes. and Janet Jackson. God, yes. so much God. excess in that video. Oh yeah. Well, in the rap videos in the end of the nineties would, would throw money <laughs> at everything. Um, but yeah, it's a fascinating thing for me because like the music video era is something I think somewhat forgotten. It's not as important to sell your album anymore. It's not important really at all to sell your album anymore. Um, or sell it, sell it to go listen on streaming uh, yeah. anymore. And um, there's a lot of missing information from it. Like there's a ton of videos I've gone through and, and do it since I started this show. No director name attached. There are models that appear in the video, like that are prominently featured. Nobody knows who the name is. Like there's there's wild stories that come from these about the bands and stuff and how they felt. Like it it's just like it's fascinating i feel like no one not a lot of people are covering it at all so yeah 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 it was a time used to be important (laughs) i mean it still is so with so many people making you know with so many people listening to music on Mm -hmm. youtube the video is still relevant i think it always will be but it's never i mean it it had a bubble and boy the bubble burst didn't it but yeah. you find your way around it, you know. Big pop stars are going to have budgets for their videos, mm-hmm. but they're going to lose money usually anymore, you know, mm-hmm. in yeah. uh, in the in the big picture. Yeah, Taylor and Gaga will do videos, but they'll make they'll make it back somewhere else. Either. Somewhere, yeah. So, um, but yeah, this uh, Duran Duran uh, doing the video. I mean, they were doing videos like crazy. This is more their style. I don't know where they. 
I think they were just moving into a, like they're trying to sell this to young people, but like they're moving more adult contemporary uh, with stuff like this. And uh, this one's got, I don't know. I think they just let the director go try to do something artistic saying too much. He's like, he's playing around with a lot of lensing lenses too. And, and, after effects i'm just like okay this is so not this is so 90s but like it's definitely the era you throw it in with so many of these videos where you've got all of this cliche stuff happening and yeah. of course at this time it wasn't cliche this is just what music videos right. were with all of this stuff going on you got to wonder how much of it the band signed off on or how much of it was their idea you right. know because it's a collaborative thing but was this a situation where they had too many ideas and they wanted to execute more of them or did they come to the table with not enough? I feel like it's either, or if they went straight to Julian temple and they were like, you just do whatever. And Julian temple who has directed a ton of music videos is like, okay, what have I not done before? Uh, aquarium party with a bunch of random B roll. Let's go. There's also there. I mean, there's also the thing where there's just a stack of scripts and they're like, uh, make it work for them. Like there's stuff that they're ready. <laughs> yeah, they've concepts. got pre-produced, and they're just like just throw Duran Duran into that one. But this concept, I think, would be done better years later with TLC's Waterfalls. I think that one is oh, trying to well, do the I mean, same thing. The computer and, animation, you can't, yeah. you can't go wrong. That video made that song. But that's got the, the kind of like video. the alcohol. It's got like some guy cheating on his wife. But it's like trying to talk about these deep things. But at least gives time to those things and you clearly understand what they're doing uh with it and this is just and they're they've got three segments one for each verse this is like yeah. everything happening at once and clipping through and like maybe another edit does this video a solid yeah maybe where, that's may, what it is where you can sort of craft a story yeah a narrative can, of some kind you can pay attention to something for a bit yeah like but there the, was that time and there is that idea i think and it still exists that it shouldn't be about the video. It should be about the music, man. True. But if you make a good video with a story, then it will enhance the music. So there's there's no shortage of bad videos mm-hmm. because there's that mindset. Yeah, it's just a video. Let's let the music speak for it. But if we have to have a video, it can be anything. Like how many people bought Hootie and the... I mean, everybody bought Hootie and the Blowfish back then. Everybody the bought Cracked Review. But how many people who weren't interested that like the I Only Be With You video with all the sport ESPN people and stuff were like, oh, that's funny. And then that is what clicked them to buying it. Like that, it was definitely a contributor. Millions. I would say probably millions back when people were buying albums. I got cracked review. Everybody had it. Yep. Everybody had it. And that poor band, like the second their their follow-up came out and everybody was done. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's, they were so big in, there were some good songs in, on that next record. Yeah, there was. There was. It was not bad. Um, but yeah, everybody had like, and that's why I think Alanis, she had another album like that. And she took a long time before, not, I mean, not a long time, but she took a while before her second one, which also did not do as well as Jagged Didn't Little Pill. Didn't do as well. It's hard to beat something like Cracked Review or Jagged Little Pill. Yep. yep. But, you know, and I think, didn't Alanis' second record do way better than, say, by comparison, uh, hoodies. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, she had some big hits off that, too. The, she yeah. had one from the City of Angels soundtrack, and then she had an, that thank you song. Oh, City of Angels. Yeah, I mean, Iris, Goo Goo Dolls, their yep. biggest moment by yep. far. Yes, for sure. That was, yeah, that was song. So I know that that one, there's a, so Rob Cavallo produced that one. He did, um, 
Dizzy Up the Girl, that that album. Mm-hmm. And he's he's got an acoustic guitar in his studio. It's called the Hit The Magic Guitar. The Hitmaker. The Hitmaker. Yeah. The Hitmaker, which that that was written on. Uh I know two other ones that were written on the Green Days, Time of Your Life. Uh, good riddance, because uh, he he produced all the Green Day albums. Uh, yeah, and, he's the huge Green Day producer. Yep, and then he did Dave Matthews Band, You and Me. They <laughs> they were struggling to find the love song for that album, and late in the process, he said, "Just write something on this, or if you got something <laughs> going on." And that was it, their last big hit. It'll come to you. Yeah, I have a funny Rob Cavallo story of all okay. things. Um, <clears throat> so. There's this brilliant songwriter. She's a singer too, but she's primarily a songwriter. She's written stuff for Rihanna. She's worked with Beyonce, I think, mm-hmm. Cher. Um, her name is LP. She's huge in Poland, of all places, a big okay. in Eastern Europe, but she's an American. Um, and she has done some really, really cool stuff. Um, she did a performance in our performance space in 92.3 WTTS okay. um, called Studio 92 that has gotten more views than any video that we have ever put up it is north of eight and a half million views wow this one little performance of this great song that she did uh in our studio space eight and a half million views most of them eastern europe anyway so i did an interview with her rob cavallo produced one of her albums Mm -hmm. and she trashed rob cavallo so hard she was like she was like that album pisses me off because hotshot Rob Cavallo came in and was trying to change my sound and I had great songs and he popped them up and screwed it up for me. So he does, no, he, I mean, he does change like, yeah, he's got a, he's got an eye for it, but yeah, I can see that. I don't I, think he understood what she was and, right. and it's possible that she didn't do a good enough job asserting herself into understanding who she was. But if you have one little conversation with LP, you realize something pretty quickly. She is assertive and she was probably trying to be assertive with him. And maybe he was having an ego moment. I don't know. Yeah, You never know. I mean, not, even the greatest producers can't work with everybody, you know, that's they can't. True. Yep. So who knows? Um, that's interesting. Interesting to know. Um, but yeah, we'll, uh, we'll wrap on that Rob Cavallo moment. Hi Rob, if you're listening. <laughs> um, so that'll wrap us up here and I'll wrap you Matt for summer of 93 at 30. So I'm happy to have had you. This is great. Um, and let people know where they can keep up with you all summer long and beyond. I so appreciate being invited. I would love to come back sometime. You can find me on Instagram at Matt Pelser radio. Um, if you want to talk about vintage microphones, I'll talk to you all day. All right. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Brennan for QHD written work on why so blue.com. Come back Monday, Scott, Aaron, and I, we talk the firm, uh, Polly Shore in son-in-law, Much Ado About Nothing, which is a Kevin Branagh Shakespeare thing with Denzel Washington in it and Keanu Reeves, and the re-release of Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. So all that and all the pop culture going on for that week in the summer of 93 at 30 as it continues. It's the summer of 93 at 30. Thank you for listening. The Brandon Peters Show is a Creative Zombie Studios production. Produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters. Written and edited by Brandon Peters. Announcer vocals by Jessica Olsman. Theme song by Metavari. Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. 
Additional information on this and other episodes at brandonpetershow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at brandonpetershow.com. The show is available on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found.